God created us without us, but he did not will to save us without us. I'll say it again. God created us without us, but he did not will to save us without us. These are the words of St. Augustine, but they could be used as a summary of this four-part kerygma homily series the Archbishop asked us to preach during Advent, the kerygma, the essential proclamation of the gospel. How do, we, how do we see the kerygma in this one simple sentence? Well, the first part, God created us without us. We talked about that the first week. That God created us and all that exists out of nothing. Creation's good. Creation's vast and awe-inspiring. And in a very real sense, mankind were made in the image and likeness of God were the pinnacle of that creation. But he did not will to save us without us. In this second part of the sentence, we see three things are implied. One, we needed saving. Talked about that the second week with sin and its consequences, a problem we could not alleviate by our own efforts. Two, God did act to save us. He does the heavy lifting in salvation. Three, he wants us to cooperate. It is necessary for us to cooperate. But maybe before jumping into talking about this, this fourth part, the, our response to God's saving action, our cooperation in our salvation, it would just be good to talk about what it means to, uh, that, that word salvation, what does it mean? Very often, people will point to a line from our gospel today as a definition of salvation. The angel says to Joseph, you're to name this child Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that's true. Salvation is saving us from sin, death, and the devil. But salvation is not merely from something. It is also for something. For holiness, sanctity. God alone is holy, but he seeks to give us a share in that holiness. We'll talk about how, or how that works in a minute. But for now, let's pick up where we left off last week, and we were considering just the, the, the tremendous love of God on display with, uh, with the cross. God doesn't love anonymous masses of people. He loves individuals. He knew us and loved us before we existed and offered his life for us on the cross. And in doing so, he superabundantly atones for our sins. By his passion, we are freed from sin. We are delivered from the power of the devil. The debt of punishment is paid. We are reconciled to God in the gates of paradise. Once closed by the sin of Adam, are opened again. So how should we respond to such a tremendous gift salvation. First, we should receive that gift. We should receive that gift. Or think of it another way. This tremendous victory Christ won on Calvary, it needs to be applied in our souls. We need to allow it to be applied in our souls. And the way that Christ set up for the grace that he won for us to ordinarily be applied to our souls is through the sacraments. The seven sacraments are these signs that Jesus Christ himself instituted 
that manifest, communicate, apply to us the grace he won for us on Calvary. Think of baptism. By the waters of baptism, that stain of original sin is wiped away. That stain of original sin, which means we are born an enemy of God in a state of enmity with God, is wiped away. His sanctifying grace is poured into our souls, and and we go from being an enemy of God, not just to his friends, or his adopted sons or daughters, because we are incorporated into the mystical body of Christ. God dwells in us, and we dwell in him. It's a very profound reality that happens in a very simple ritual, pouring or immersion of water in the invocation of the Trinity. Of course, other sacraments, right, uh, are indispensable as well, right? So, so baptism gives us the supernatural life of grace. The Eucharist nourishes it. Confirmation matures it, strengthens it. If we sin and confession that, that uh, uh, our life of grace is restored or strengthened once again, but you know, there's one sacrament that stands out from all the rest. If all the sacraments communicate this grace Christ won for us on Calvary. One sacrament in particular, the Eucharist, is Calvary. We call the Eucharist the holy sacrifice of the Mass because it, at every Mass, that one sacrifice of Christ 2,000 years ago is mystically made present on the altar in an unbloodied and invisible manner. No, Christ is not sacrificed again. That happened once for all. But this same sacrifice is made present in an invisible manner at every Mass. Why? Because it's necessary that people down through the ages come into vital contact with the sacrifice of the cross. The Mass is called the source and summit of the faith. The Eucharist is the source and summit of the faith because there is the font of all grace. The Eucharist contains Christ himself, really, truly, substantially. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. He is the source of this supernatural life of grace, and it's the summit because it's the highest possible worship we can offer to God, to God the Father. The sacraments show us that salvation, uh, the salvation Christ offers us, it isn't merely from something but for something. It's for holiness. St. Paul in our second reading, he tells the Romans, you were called to be holy, and the same is true with us. And God, who alone is holy, in the sacraments, he gives us a share in his holiness. If we are willing, if we cooperate, gradually, perhaps imperceptibly, he will transform us bit by bit into those saints he created us to be. So the first way we respond to the tremendous gift of Christ, uh, the salvation he offers us, is simply to receive the gift in the sacraments, to make the Mass the foundation of our life, this font of all graces. Now, I will admit there's a difficulty here. People might say, well, look, you talk about this tremendous act of of self-sacrificial love of Christ on the cross, and our response is just to go to Mass. I mean, mean, sure, it sounds beautiful to theology, but Mass, it, it can feel boring. Or it can feel like a routine that I sleepwalk through, or, or you know, something I don't feel like I'm getting thing, anything out of, as, as people have it, can say from time to time. And, you know, we do live in a world that would look at the Mass and the sacraments and say, well, these are nice rituals, man-made rituals, but rituals. 
nonetheless, rather than rituals given to us by Jesus Christ that manifest his invisible and saving grace. What we need is faith, faith to uh, recognize uh, and supply where our senses fail. In our second reading, St. Paul also speaks about the obedience of faith. And that word obedience, it comes from the Latin word obadire, which means to hear or to listen to. In the context of the faith, it means to hear or to listen to the word of God and then to submit our intellect freely uh, and, and willingly to the Lord and to those truths he reveals. Because the truth of revelation is guaranteed by God who is truth himself, who cannot deceive nor be deceived. The obedience of the faith means to surrender our lives to him and to say, you are God and I am not. You are he who created this universe out of nothing. <clears throat> when we sinned, redeemed us, you reveal these truths necessary for salvation. That is enough for me. In John 6, when all the, many of the disciples want to leave Jesus because they don't understand the Eucharist, and Jesus turns to Peter and says, will you also go? And Peter and all the apostles Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That is the obedience of faith. Could Peter explain or understand comprehensively what Jesus was talking about in John 6? At that point, probably not. But he knew who Jesus was. and He knew he had the words of eternal life. And he surrendered his life to him. Here's the interesting thing about faith. On the one hand, for us to have faith, we need the grace of God to move and assist us. We must have the interior help of the Holy Spirit who moves our heart and converts it to God, who opens the eyes of our mind and makes it easy for us to accept and believe the truths of the faith. At the same time, faith is also a human act, trusting in God, cleaving, cleaving to the truths of the faith that he has revealed. In faith, the human intellect and will cooperate with divine grace. God did not will to save us without us. And we see that with faith. All right, so we respond to this tremendous gift by receiving it, frequenting the sacraments, making the Mass the foundation of our life, by surrendering to the Lord and embracing the obedience of the faith. And if we do that, then we will be willing to share it. It's not enough to simply practice the faith. We must be willing to share it with others. Now, a lot of people would say, well, I mean, I bear witness by how I live my life, and that's very good, and that's part of it. But there also comes a time when we must share it with words, and we must be willing to talk about the faith with others, invite others. Because here's the truth. We are most human when we are on our knees worshiping God at Mass, receiving this grace from the sacraments. When we are embracing that obe obedience to the faith, we are most human because we are made to know to love and to serve God. We can't do that without worshiping him. We can't do that without the obedience of the faith. And when we do that, we find a peace and joy that's contagious that we want to share with others. It's not enough to practice the faith. We must be willing to share it. God created us without us, but he did not will to save us without us. Let us respond, cooperate in our salvation so that in, in God's good time, he makes us the saints he created us to be.